Amen. <laughs> Praise God. You can have a seat. All right. Good morning, everybody. Oh, man. Can we give God praise for our worship team one more time? Holy smokes. Wow. They just threw that together this morning. They don't even practice. They didn't, no, no. They practice a lot. Uh, you, can, you can catch their album coming out in the next couple weeks. Uh, they should. Man, we're just so blessed uh, every week by so many talented uh, gifted volunteers, whether they're serving uh, in front of the scenes or behind the scenes. Uh, you're an awesome church. I want you to know that. I'm so thankful for you. Uh, the way that you serve, uh, those of you that were here early this morning serving, those that are serving in our nursery and our children's ministry right now, uh, it is an awesome, awesome movement uh, to be a part of. And so if you're uh, new to our Hope community, you may not know, uh, we are, I hope maybe you've seen in our Hope 360, we are one church in multiple locations. And so our six campuses around uh, the metro area, we even include the people in Ames. We even have a campus in Ames because, wow, they need Jesus uh, up there. You know, I'm just kidding, right? <laughs> The football team does uh, as, as well, but um, I tell you what, it is, it is good to be the church, and it is good to know that the church is not a building, the church is not, a, uh, the church is not an institution or a club, it's a, it's a movement that we get to be a part of. And so from time to time, all of our campuses uh, together hear the same message, and thanks to technology, we're able to do that and actually just go live uh, and hear from our senior pastor, Mike Householder, if you've never heard him before. He knows he's talking to you today and all of our campuses uh, today, and it's extra special day because we are kicking off a brand new sermon series today on the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. I'm guessing not a lot of you have spent a lot of time in the book of Exodus uh, recently, not a, a normal uh, route for your devotional time, but uh, I tell you this about the Old Testament. I love it, and I am so excited about this sermon series because what we'll find is that everything in the Old Testament points to the New Testament. Everything in the Old Testament, you'll find, points to Jesus. And it's, it's an amazing, amazing thing. All these prophecies and everything that we're going to be learning about today as we dive into the story, I'm really, really excited about. And so the other thing I'm excited about is I want you to hang on to the end of the sermon today because I love how this perfectly sets up. There's a verse in the book of Esther that Mike's going to refer to called, uh, and maybe that you were made... For such a time as this. Maybe you were made at such a time as this. And I'm going to share a very, very special announcement at the end of the message today. And you're not going to want to leave. You're not going to want to miss it. So you're going to want to stick around. Don't be in the bathroom at the end of the sermon. Uh, you're, you're not going to want to miss it. So I invite you to stick around uh, for that. But that's really what the story of the Exodus and really the story of the Old Testament is about, is about God taking his people from here to there and being a church that's on the move and growing and changing and expanding. And so you're going to want to hang out uh, here for a while today uh, and don't miss the end of the sermon because I'll be back up to share some exciting announcements with you coming up uh, about that. But Mike knows he's talking to you. Open up your Bibles uh, to Exodus. Uh, follow along. If you need a Bible, there's ones in the back. Uh, back there, we'd love to give you one uh, as well. Open up your heart to what God has to say to you uh, today as we dive into this. If Mike asks us to read something together on the screen, let's say it together. If he makes a joke, even if it's not funny, what do you do? You laugh, right? You see, you guys got this. You're so smart, right? Sometimes we make jokes as pastors and nobody laughs, but it just makes us feel good if you humor us uh, a little bit. And he can feel the love uh, even on the screen. So we're excited uh, to start a new series today. Uh, and as we do that, let's, uh, let's pray together as we get started. God, we thank you so much that you have brought each and every single person here today. God, it is truly no accident that we are here, each one of us. We all have a story, and our story led us here this morning, and there's something very real and very personal and very powerful that you want to say to each of us. 
So God, I pray that you would open up our hearts. Make our hearts that soft, receptive soil. If there's anything that is causing our hearts to be hard this morning, that's not able to receive challenge or conviction or maybe just grace, maybe mercy, God, would you soften our hard hearts. Open us up to hear exactly what we need to hear today. God, quiet our hearts and minds from our crazy busy week and slow us down and maybe for a few moments this morning God that we could hear directly from you that's what we want more than anything else that we need to hear this morning we want to hear from you God we love you and we pray all of this in your name and all God's people said together amen Amen. all right welcome to Exodus I just love that that's big and epic Because this is a big and epic story, and it's uh, where we're going for the next six weeks. Welcome, everybody. Glad that you're here. Those of you in our West Des Moines campus, uh, here in this room, and those watching in other uh, holy sanctuaries of hope all over central Iowa. Hello to Ankeny and Des Moines. Hello to Grimes at our newest church building up there, and to Ames, and to Waukee, and uh, all of you who are uh, watching in house groups that meet all over the Midwest. Glad that you're all with us today. It is really an honor to stand up here and share with you these stories. It's not me writing these. This is me just pointing you to what Scripture says. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Exodus. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. Genesis wraps up, and we see the story of God through creation, and then along comes Noah, and then there's a, there's a, a pause, and then Abraham and Sarah become the two people that God chooses to be the parents of this great nation. He says to Abraham, I'll make you a father of descendants that'll outnumber the grains of sand in the desert. And sure enough, God does, and God keeps his promises. And then we trace Abraham and Sarah's family through the rest of Genesis. And in case you're new to the Bible, or in case you haven't uh, really taken a deep dive into it lately, The Bible is full of stories of heroic figures, and we're going to be taking a real close look at Moses over the next six weeks, because this is the central story of the Old Testament. But Moses included uh, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Rachel, uh, their their sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, Joseph and his Technicolor dream code, and all of these people, colorful characters, but not all of them flawed, all of them fallen. All of them have weak spots. All of them ordinary people that God uses to do extraordinary things. And God wants to do that through you, too. Maybe it's time to start seeing what God can do through you. And we start by looking at our life experiences. I put that phrase in a, in a circle up there. I'll get back to that in a moment. Uh, I want you to go to Exodus 2, verse 10 in your Bibles, where it says, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him, meaning Moses, as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. Moses' name literally means in Hebrew to be lifted out of the water. And ironically, interestingly, not by accident, in Egyptian, Moses means my son. So here's Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's the most powerful man on the face of the earth. He leads the greatest nation in the world at the time. This is around historians and biblical scholars get into all sorts of arguments as to when Moses lived. Let's just ballpark it, give or take a few hundred years, around 1500 B.C. So this is around 1500 B.C. Egypt is the power in the world. 
And so the pharaoh of Egypt, the king of Egypt, is the one who holds all of this power. Uh, they call him uh, the a son of a god. The, 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 the sun rises with him and sets with him, the Egyptians would say. He had all the power, and this is his daughter. And his daughter is the one who finds this little baby and names him Moses. And the reason she finds this little baby is because Moses' biological mother, uh, Yoshebed, you probably knew Moses' name, but you didn't know Yoshebed. Well, you maybe did. Yoshebed puts Moses in this basket and sends him down the river. Well, that's sort of the Prince of Egypt's animated DreamWorks version, which is great. The biblical version's a little more conservative, though. The biblical version is... She strategically placed him amongst the reeds of the Nile River right next to the Pharaoh's palace where she knew Pharaoh's daughters would come on a daily basis, hoping perhaps that one of them would see him and would adopt him as one of their own, and Pharaoh's daughter did. Yoshebed's faith is the thing that made that happen. Think of the circumstances. Think of the life experiences that had to be aligned just so for Moses to become this great leader of Israel who'd stand before the Pharaoh, Yul Brynner, if that helps you in your mind, who'd stand before the Pharaoh and say, let my people go, and would stand with his shepherd's staff before the Red Sea and would hold his arms up and God would part the sea and he'd lead this massive nation of slaves across the Red Sea, a baptism, if you will, from death to new life, a death and a resurrection. The Bible says baptism joins us to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So here come God's people through the water from slavery to a new life in a promised land led by Moses. That parallel between Old Testament central story of the Exodus, which we're going to be looking at over the next six weeks, and the central story of the New Testament, the similarities are impossible to miss. Moses led God's people from slavery to freedom of a new life in a promised land. Jesus comes along to lead all of us who put our faith and trust in him from slavery to sin to new life in an eternal heaven in a promised land, a new life now that will last forever. And it all boils back down to circumstances. The life experiences that Moses has are the thing that prepare him to become this great leader, prepare him to be the one who would lead Israel from slavery to new life and freedom. But none of that happens. Moses doesn't stand before the Pharaoh. Moses doesn't stand before the Red Sea. Moses doesn't hold up his shepherd's staff with great faith to know God could part the Red Sea unless... He's born into these specific circumstances. He's born as a slave, as as a Hebrew, but he's also born into a family and adopted into a family of the greatest privilege. He's born the grandson of the Pharaoh, the most powerful man on earth. He's adopted into that family because of the circumstances. It took the love, the sacrifice, and the faith of his own mother, his Hebrew mom, Yoshebed. It took perfect weather so that the basket didn't get blown away from out of the reeds that were in the Nile River, and then the baby would be drowned and lost. It took the curiosity of his sister Miriam, true story from the Bible, who's standing there watching to see who's going to pick up her baby brother, and she sees that it's Pharaoh's daughter, and it took the, the faith and the love of Pharaoh's daughter and her sense of justice and compassion to adopt this little Hebrew boy into her family and to call him one of her own. She didn't have to do that. In fact, her father certainly wouldn't. 
Her father was a, a prejudiced man filled with fear instead of faith. And as we pick up this story going from Genesis where we read about Joseph who'd, who'd come into Egypt and then his brothers and all their families come, over a period of generations, they are fruitful and multiply and the Israelites start to become a large minority ethnic group living in this massive, powerful country of Egypt. Instead of welcoming them, instead of making peace with them, which the Bible says over and over again, which is to welcome the stranger and welcome the foreigner to your land, instead of doing that and acting on faith, they act on fear. And the Pharaoh leads that fear by saying, we need to oppress these people. And so he makes them slaves. And when that isn't enough, he continues to push them even further by saying, we need to thin out their population. And the way we're going to do this is by committing genocide. There's no other way to put it. Throw all of the Hebrew newborn babies who are boys into the Nile River, Pharaoh says. Have them executed, genocide, in this way, because he's so threatened by them. Well, what if his daughter had the same fear and the same prejudice? She would have never adopted this baby into her family, where she basically allowed him to hide out. Only, who knows how long Moses lived his life before he knew he was a Hebrew. The Bible doesn't tell us that, but it does show us that at some point he comes to terms with that. So he's both a, a child of Hebrew parents, Yoshebed and Amran, and he's also born into a family or adopted into a family of the greatest privilege, and so he's Egyptian royalty. Those are his life experiences, so it's no accident that it's Moses that God calls to stand before the Pharaoh. What other Hebrew slave is going to have access to the Pharaoh? except the one who grew up in the palace, the one the Pharaoh already knows, or that his son will already know because it's his son is the one that Moses stands before eventually. All of these circumstances, all of these details had to line up. And you could say cynically, well, that's what happens back in Bible times, but that doesn't happen anymore. But I want you to personalize this. It can be a little bit dangerous to do that sometimes, to read a story in the Bible and say, well, this is all about me. It's not all about you, but it is about you, and it is about me, because this is a transferable theological principle, if you will, that we pull out of this story and we realize there is a God who consistently throughout Scripture is revealed to be a God who cares deeply about the details of our lives. There is a God who has led you on this path that you are on, who has given you life experiences. And this God also has created you with talents, or another way to put that for people of faith is with gifts that he's given to you, to be able to do things in a way that is a true gift. And he's also given you alongside of that, passions. Talked about this a few weeks ago, that you could have a gift for something but not a passion, then you shouldn't do that. <laughs> or you could have a passion for something but not a gift. I could have a passion for singing solos at church, but if I don't have a gift, I should keep it to myself. <laughs> so we have life experiences and we have gifts and we have passions. And when we start to look at this, this begins to sort out who we are. It starts to sort out what we're doing here, what our purpose is on earth. And that's what we find at the beginning of this epic, central story of our faith in the Old Testament. And we start to realize it really is about us. It's not just about Moses. It's about a God who made you. 
Wherever you are, whatever campus you're at right now where you hear my voice, it's a God who made you, and you are unlike anybody else who's hearing this message right now in this moment. Because of your life experiences, your gifts, and your passions, they are unlike the unique set and the degree to which you have these things is different than anybody else sitting around you. You're the only you that God has on this earth. You're the only one that you have had and seen and experienced the things that you've experienced with your particular set of gifts and passions. Now you start to put that together in a spiritual way and you realize, huh, maybe, just perhaps maybe, it's time for me to start seeing myself the way God sees me. To start understanding myself from the perspective of the one who made me and to try to figure out what he made me for. To try to figure out God's will for my life, which is the number one question that church people ask. When we do those open Q&As, we have a whole stack of questions that say, how do I know what God's will is for my life? How do I know what I'm supposed to do? How do I know what direction I'm supposed to go? How do I know what decision I'm supposed to make? How do I know what God wants me to do? It's all in the story. It's all right here. And we start to put these things together and we start to see something we didn't see before. It's not just in Bible times, it's today. Here's two pictures that my wife took uh, six years ago or so. In fact, we dated it on the camera. So it was November 16th, 2012. When we were blessed to be in Egypt on a Holy Land tour. This is a picture she took of a sunset of the Nile River where the baby Moses was put into the basket and, and, and the Pharaoh's daughter found him and adopted him into her family. And we look out of our tour bus and they say, ah, oh, take that picture. It's a baby boy in a basket along the banks of the Nile River. And someday I'm going to use this picture in a sermon. Today is that day. <laughs> I share that with you not to make too big of a case out of that. I, I don't want to make the whole sermon about that for sure. But just as an example, is it possible that miracles are happening around you every day and you're just not seeing them? Is it possible that there are these God winks, that there are these moments, that there are these things that God is doing? And if you started to open your eyes and you started to open the eyes of your heart to see what it is God has created you to see, you would start to see a whole new world. God would reveal to you something completely different. If you started to see the world, and please hear this part, if you started to see yourself the way God sees you, with all of God's grace, with all of God's direction, with all of God's guidance, with God's boundaries, with God's nudges, with God's inspiration, with with the beauty and the creativity of God, with, with the uniqueness of who God has made you to be, you started to see yourself not as other people see you, not as people have told you you're supposed to be, but as the one who made you says this is who you are. Because you're unlike anybody else who's in this world. You are God's, uh, a part of God's highlight of his creation. What are you doing with that? When do you start to ask these first order questions of life? Because that's the key to answering what am I supposed to do? Start by asking yourself, who are you? And I don't mean what's your name or what's your address or what school do you go to, or which team do you cheer for, although that's very important, or uh, 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 your job, or, or any of those things. I'm talking about the deeper question. Who are you? Underneath it all, who are you based on your life experiences, your gifts and your passions? Who, who are you as a child of God, as a highlight of God's creation? And that leads to the second question, whose are you? 
Because if you allow yourself to be somebody else's other than God's, no wonder it's so hard to figure out life without frustration and without disillusionment. And that leads to the third question is who gets to write the story of your life? Who do you give that kind of authority? In other words, who do you allow to be your Lord? Who do you allow to call the shots? Who do you allow to say, this is your will? Do you give that to a political party? Do you give that to an uncle or an aunt or an influencer in your family? Do you give that to a friend? Do you give it to the cool crowd at school? Or or, or people in your neighborhood who say, this is how you're supposed to see the world? Is that smart? Does that make sense? Or were you made for more? Were you made for something beyond that? Who gets to write the story of your life? Who gets to tell you who you are? Who gets to say the one who made you or people who sometimes don't even have your best interests at heart and are just manipulating you to try to get something out of you by telling you this is who you are? Maybe it's time. Maybe it's time to discover God's will for your life by stepping back and starting to ask some of these fundamental first order questions of life. How do you see yourself? If you want to find your way through life, if you want to find your way to the promised land, and I'm starting to realize that our communications team must be Hawkeye fans, but if if you want to find your way to the promised land, and I'm sorry, that was rough last night, but this is a healing place. So which way to the promised land that you find, you find that promised land because you start asking these questions. Moses had to do that. Eventually he had to do that. He started to struggle. He's, He's, as far as he knows, he's the child of Pharaoh, a descendant of Pharaoh, and he's, he's royalty. And he grows up with all the privileges and the trappings of that. He starts to think he's better than everybody else. He starts to think that slaves are slaves and then there's people like us. But something breaks him free from that. A series of events, he goes out and, and somewhere along the way somebody had to tell him, you know, this is who you are. Prince of Egypt has a depiction of that. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how we found this out. We just find Moses at the beginning of his life when he's a newborn, growing up in the privilege of royalty in in the Egyptian palace, and then we see him fleeing that palace, running away from Egypt to Midian, where, as God would have it, he'd meet the love of his life, Zipporah, which means beautiful, and she would be the daughter of Reuel, or, uh, the, which means friend of God, or Jethro, the same name, kind of a, a, a priestly name for Reuel. And that Jethro would become a huge influence on his life and would direct him on some really important paths of leadership, which we'll get to on the sixth week of this, sixth week of this series. But today, we want to look at the origins of Moses' story. Because those circumstances, those life experiences, lead him to the rest of the story. Just like for you and for me. Who are you? Whose are you? Who knows? The Bible says about Esther. Mordecai says this to her friend, his friend Esther later in the Old Testament. Who knows but that you've come to your royal position for such a time as this? For Moses who grows up, he has to realize, am I a son of the Pharaoh? Or am I made for more? Am I made for more? He runs into his sister Miriam, the same curious sister who saw him as a little baby be adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter and the same sister who arranged for Moses' own biological mother to become the, the, um, 
nanny, basically, for Moses growing up. She's pretty bold sister. It's who she is. She's got this faith. She sees things that other people don't see. Well, as Prince of Egypt depicts the story of Moses coming to this realization of who he is and whose he is, she's the one who confronts him and tells him, you're my brother. You're not royalty. You're a slave just like me. And then the whole story starts to change. Take a look. She's so close, if she just would have made that plural singular, she'd have had the right answer. God did this, Moses. This is all part of God's plan, your maker's plan from what he made you for. You were made for this. God needed somebody to grow up in Pharaoh's house who's also a Hebrew slave and understands that that's who you are and this is whose you are and this is the one who's writing the story of your life. See, here's the danger of just leaving it here. And why a lot of people focus on these things, my gifts, my passions, my life experience, and that therefore dictate, dictates what I'm supposed to do in my life. But what you're leaving out are these two foundational points, which are the opportunities before you, which you aren't necessarily in charge of or have control of, and then something even deeper at the root, which is the needs. For Moses, it was the oppression of slavery that needed to be eradicated, that needed to be abolished, just like it's been in the history of this nation. There are needs in our world today, and then we start seeing something that has been here in our lives the whole time, but we never saw it before. And if you look, I can help you by outlining it, you start to see it. The thing that was here in your life all along, but you didn't see, now you start to see. And when you start to see it, it starts to shape how you use your gifts and passions and life experiences according to the opportunities and the needs around you in a Christ-centered way, in a way that connects you to the one who created you and made you. Let me tell you who you are, Jesus will say later, who is in many ways the Moses of the New Testament, the freedom giver. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Other people may tell you something else, but let me tell you who you are based on the one who made you. He says you're the light of the world, so let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is who you are. I want you to hear that, not just as Jesus proclaiming it to a bunch of people uh, back 2,000 years ago and half a world away. I want you to hear that as God's living word for you today. This is who you are. You are the light of the world. And there are needs in this world around us at the foundation of who we are and whose we are and the story God's writing for us and opportunities that combine with our gifts and passions and life experience and we start to see things that have always been there but we never saw until we opened our eyes in a faithful way. And we start to see this is who I am. This is what God made me to be. So let me ask you today, how are you letting your light shine? How are you letting your light shine that goes beyond showing up for church? How are you letting your light shine the rest of today, tomorrow, the rest of this week, in the workplace, at school, out with friends, uh, when you're out socially, when, when you're with family? How are, you, are you letting your light shine as a husband or a wife or a mother or a father or a sister or a brother or a grandparent? Are you letting your light shine as a friend? Are you letting your light shine for your enemies? What do they see in you? Because this is who you are, and this is who I am, and this is whose we are. And when we let him, when we let God write the story of our lives, it starts to put us on a whole new path. It certainly did for Moses. 
You say, again, okay, biblical times, but today, what can we do? Because when tragedy, when the needs around us uh, raise their ugly head, when we see the darkness, and there's so much darkness and evil in our world today, just like there was back then, we, we, we wring our hands, we say, well, what could we do? What difference could we possibly make? The news is just too hard to take. We can pr- it breaks our hearts. It's impossible to even stomach it. In the last... Not very long, two young women who live right here in the state of Iowa have been brutally and violently murdered by young men who were completely lost, who were completely lost. And so we turn to God because nothing less will do who says God comforts those who mourn. He blesses those who mourn because they will be comforted. And he blesses those who hunger and thirst for No more stories like this for justice. We can talk about justice uh, amongst uh, races and ethnicities. We can talk about justice, though, for women in our culture. Who The reason these two women were were brutally and senselessly murdered is really kind of hard to put together, isn't it? It's kind of hard to figure, and, and I know, we, we, and we start getting into these debates, and then we want to go political about it, and we want to talk about political solutions to these things, and maybe there are, may, maybe there are, and if there are, God bless you, go for those. But I think it's deeper. And this is the part of the sermon that's going to be a little bumpy, and I, I'm not apologizing for it, I'm just kind of warning you. It's kind of like your pilot. We got turbulence ahead, folks. But if we don't go through it, we're not going to get to our destination. Here's the truth. The truth is there are too many young men in our culture who see young women as pieces of meat and objects of sexual desire in our world today. And that needs to stop. That needs to end right now. And we can be a part of that. We can let our light shine in this way. That's the truth. The reality is the violence that was done to these women was also of a sexual nature. And the reality is we live in a culture where we turn a blind eye and we wink at things that are going to make me sound like an old fogey, but I'm getting to a point where I don't care anymore. I just don't because I don't, I don't want to be a part of a world where we have to deal with things like this. And so I'm going to do whatever I can to be who I am and whose I am and let God write the story and not worry so much about the judgment of the world. Because the reality is is that young men who are millennials in our culture, now please hear me, there is a notable exception to the rule, a notable minority percentage of millennial men in our culture who are beautiful exceptions to this rule and don't fit any of these categories. But study after study after study after study, how many do we need before we bring it out into the light and acknowledge it and recognize it in mainstream places like churches and say way too many young men in our culture are doing these three things more than anything else in their free time. They're smoking weed, they're looking at porn, and they're playing graphically violent video games. And we don't think those three things are going to have an effect. We don't think that ultimately it's going to start to suck life out of these men, and it's going to pull them away from who they are, whose they are, and who's writing their story, and who tells them who they are. At a certain point, we lose our bearings and we completely go off kilter and take into an extreme without any checks or balances. And when darkness and evil settles into that category, things can derail and get completely out of control. And then we're lamenting this. And our hearts are broken. Oh, pornography, it's, it's, and nobody gets hurt. I hear that all the time. I'm so sick of hearing that. 
You get hurt if you're hooked on pornography. You get hurt because it steals your soul. It takes it out of you. You start seeing women as objects instead of sisters in Christ, instead of fellow human beings, instead of, instead of people that God has created you to do life together with. You were made for more. You get hurt when you check out of daily life every day by smoking weed and just saying, well, I, well it's natural, so it's good for me. It's not so good for you, actually. It takes you away from life instead of putting you into it, instead of bringing you back into it. You were made for more. You were made for more than checking out, than disappearing, than going away. You were made for more than pornography and weed. And I'm not talking about Mario Kart. I'm not talking about, you know, Madden football, although that can get a little violent. I'm talking about, you know what I'm, yeah, I'm talking about the video games where it's graphic, where there's blood and gore and details, and people are being killed over and over and over and over again. Eventually that desensitizes us. Don't let the boys growing up in your house get hooked on these things. Don't let the boys growing up, or the girls growing up in this church family get lost in these behaviors. We were made for more. You are the light of the world. Don't let your light, don't hide it, don't put it under a bush. You were made for something more. Which way to the promised land? It's Jesus' way. It's what Moses discovered. He could have just said, who cares about those slaves? Who cares about the needs? Who cares about the life experiences I've had and the opportunities I have and how God's put me in this position for such a time as this? Who cares? I'm Pharaoh's grandson. I've got power. I've got the royal ring. I've got the robes. I've got the palace. I've got the women. I've got the experiences. I've got the pleasure. I've got it all here before me. What if Moses had done that? Here's the thing. You could hear that and say, oh, well, yeah, the, the world would be worse for it. And that's true. You know who else would be worse for it? Moses. He would have missed the life God made him to live. He would have missed what God made him for. And it's never too late. You say, ah, oh, I wish I would have. I wish I would have heard this sermon when I was a lot younger. Moses was 80 when he finally turned it around. It's not too late. It's not too early either. Start asking these big questions. Who am I? Whose am I? Who's going to write the story of my life? Which way to the promised land? When we do, we start to see things that were right there before us. We start to see the way God's been writing the story of our lives all along. But he isn't going to make you do it. He's waiting for you to rise up and go to claim your identity so that you can live it out in, on purpose and, and, and on this mission that we do together. We say around here at Hope a lot of times, we believe it's no accident that you're here. And I'm not talking about in Iowa or in this country. I'm talking about here at Lutheran Church of Hope. Whatever campus you're at right now, we believe it's no accident that you're here, that God puts you here for a reason. Because it's not just about what God wants to do through you individually, it's about what he wants to do through us collectively together. I could give you the list. It would take a whole series of sermons. All the things that we've done just this year in missions. All the different things that we were able to do together that we wouldn't be able to do as individuals. That's part of the story. It's a big part of the story. But it's also what God wants to live out through you right where you are. At home, at school, at work, in your neighborhoods. Right where you are. Who are you and whose are you? And who's writing this story about your life? 
When you open your eyes of faith, you start to see. You start to see things like Moses did that were always there. And that prepared him to receive the burning bush. But that's next week. So we're going to hold it right there. Let me close with this. Once upon a time, sometimes life stories are, are helpful. There was a teenage boy who moved to Chicago and met a teenage girl <laughs> at youth group at Edison Park Lutheran Church on the north side of the city of Chicago. I don't know. I don't know why you're clapping. It could be anybody. I didn't say who it was. <laughs> Give her a break. She didn't know the picture was being taken, all right? And she gave it to me with a blessing, but she said, I'm going to get killed for this, but you look great, honey. You look absolutely great. Um, this was at an ice cream social for our youth group, and those are not jorts. <laughs> They're totally different. Those are cut-off jeans. And anybody from 1979, which was when this picture was taken, will tell you there's a big difference between cut-off jeans and jorts, as far as you know. <laughs> you know, this should be censored, this part right here. I, I'm just going to go ahead and, and hold my hand over this. That's, 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 you don't need to see your pastor like that at any age. Here's what I want you to see in this picture, honestly is I want you to think about yours. What are the pictures of your life that were defining moments? I did not know this was a defining moment. I knew she was cute. I knew that she was funny. I knew that she was kind. I knew that every boy in Luther League wanted to date her. But I didn't see the future. I hoped for it. I didn't see the future. I didn't see where this was all leading. I, I didn't see that she'd be my life for the rest of my life. But at some point along the way, my eyes opened and I started to see it. And now consider her and her life experiences. She grew up, her father's a drummer, plays in a band. Her grandfather's a drummer, plays in a band even in his 80s. So what kind of music do you think she grows up with in her house? Have you been to VBS? at Hope, at any of our campuses lately? That's because she grew up in a house that played that music all the time. Over and over and over again to the point where it was her life experience in a way is almost nobody else's life experience. And then you put that together with her gifts and her passions and the opportunities and the need in this community for a ministry in the summer that's gonna bless kids and connect them to God and you have Vacation Bible School at Hope. She's by far the biggest influence on that of anybody around here. She's also a way bigger influence on a lot of the good things at Hope that, that nobody would ever know about because of her behind-the-scenes influence and her wisdom. All a part of her gifts and her passions and the needs and the opportunities in her life experience. Maybe it's time for you to consider your picture. Maybe it's time for you to see what God wants to do through you. What God wants to do through you for the rest of your life. Because that's what this story of Exodus is about at one of its two or three cores. 
is what does God want to do through Moses? But also, what does God want to do through you? And what does God want to do through us? Who are you? Whose are you? And who gets to write the story? Because you fast forward and all of a sudden you see yourself on that same Holy Land trip six years ago in Wadi Rum, which is exactly where Moses fleed and where he would end up leading the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt on their way to the Promised Land. They passed right through Wadi Rum, which is here in Jordan today. Midian is between Jordan and what is Saudi Arabia today. And we were blessed to be able to go there and hang out there and experience what Moses got to experience. And it was a life changer for him. He fell in love with Zipporah, who became his wife, who became his life. He fell under the influence of the priest of Midian, Jethro, who influenced his life. And it was just two more chapters in the story that God was writing of his life to prepare him to go back to the palace in Egypt where he grew up, to stand before the new Pharaoh and say, let my people go. The needs are too great. The slavery will end. God will bless these people and he will set them free. But none of that happens unless Moses knows who he is. And none of the stuff you want to experience in your life happen until you rediscover who you are and whose you are and who gets to write your story. When you do, you start seeing miracles. You start seeing things that you're so blessed by. I was so moved and inspired just to be here. I mean, with her made it way better. But to be in this holy ground where God led his people to freedom is blow you away inspiring. It was for Moses in that same desert once upon a time, according to Exodus 2. Take a look, and then we'll wrap things up. What does God want to do through you? You can read these stories in the Bible, and we can say, well, that's cute, that's inspirational, now I'm going to go home. Or we can start to ask the deeper questions. What does God want to do through you? What does God want to do through us as a church. Some of you are thinking, I just showed up today and I'm just here, whether you're down here or you're up there, and just, I'm just popping in, I'll just hear the message and I'll go home. I'm not really needed, I'm not really a part of it. And, and Moses probably thought that as well until in the, the back third of his life when he thought my best days are behind me, I'm not really needed in this big story. God taps him on the shoulder and says, I'm not done with you yet. And some of you need to hear that this morning. You think the most significant things that you've done in your life are behind you. And you don't know who you are anymore. Because you think the, the best is behind you. What if the best was yet to come? What if God is tapping you on the shoulder today saying, I forgive you. I love you. Whatever it is that you're putting up as a wall or a barrier that's hardening your heart, I forgive you. I love you. Moses was a murderer. And he's the central character in this story that God uses. There is nothing, there is nothing that cannot be overcome in your life. You are needed. Who knows what God might have you do for such a time as this. What God wants to do through you, what God wants to do through us. We need you. Because there are some big things ahead and coming for us as a church as well. The story of Exodus is about moving from here to there. It's about following God's call. And four years ago, when we moved into this building, we, di we didn't know. We're just being obedient to what God was calling us to do at the time, and 
Well, that time has come again. I hope you're not getting too comfortable because uh, we're about to do it again. We're not moving. We're staying here, but we're going to add on and we're going to expand our building. And this past week, after years, well, since we moved in, actually, for four years, but really praying into this as a leadership team and as a staff the last two years, we finally got the word that we are going to acquire this building directly to the north of us and expand our church facility. So praise God for that. We're excited about that. Yeah. <laughs> My heart's been beating in the back because I've had to keep it a secret for a week and a half. And that's way too long to wait for church. Uh, I'm so excited. I'm really, really excited, and here's why. Not just on Sunday morning, where those of you are sitting in the lobby or upstairs or wherever you are smashed in here together. We're going to make some more worship space. We're going to do a couple renovations in here, and we are going to completely renovate that building and expand, particularly so that we can do more outreach, so that we can shine our light, so that we can be that church. Because there's some of you here today that are asking who you are and if God has a plan for your life. There's hundreds and thousands of people in the greater Des Moines area that are asking those same questions. And I hope that we can be a church that never gets comfortable with who's already here, that our hearts beat for those outside these walls. And so uh, we need you here. We're going to need you the next couple months. And it starts on October 7th. We are going to have a special congregational meeting right after the 11 o'clock service. So if you come to Saturday night or this service, come on back. We'll feed you. We're going to have lunch. It will not be a boring meeting, I will tell you that. Uh, we'll have some representatives from Hope's Church Council here. Uh, and anybody, uh, we're one church. If you're a member of Hope, you're a member of uh, remember this campus, you're a member of Hope. So uh, this is welcome to anybody from any campus. And uh, we're going to vote uh, on uh, purchasing and renovating this new building uh, in addition to the space that we have uh, already. And we're going to vote on doing a capital campaign uh, this fall, starting at the end of October, moving into November. And so if you think things are exciting right now, they're getting get a lot more exciting. And you're going to be hearing a lot more about this in the coming weeks and months. And so you are not going to want to miss a weekend around here. There's going to be new updates coming down the pipe, and we are going to need every single one of you. Five years ago when we did this, it took everybody. It took everybody. And I'm going to be calling some of you, and I'm going to be emailing some of you, and I'm going to be talking to some of you, and we're going to need everybody for this because God is growing us as a church, and we just want to be faithful to what he's doing. And I'm so excited for these next couple months. So don't miss a weekend. Who knows what God might want to do through you, just like he did through Moses. Who knows what God might want to do through us as we let our light shine. We have a saying around hope that says this, God loves us exactly where we, where we are, but he refuses to leave us that way. And he pursues us and he's pursuing you this morning with a reckless, wild abandon, with a reckless love that whatever you're up against this morning, he wants to tear that down and knock down that wall and move that mountain so that you can be in a relationship with him and be whole and be healed. And so before we go on this journey of Exodus and this journey of this new building together, we got to get freed up from some stuff that's dragging us down, that some weight that we're carrying. And so we're going to close today and the worship team is going to lead us and we're going to sing of this reckless love that God has for us. So let's stand and let's sing our hearts out together. Let's worship him.